Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, Old Time Music with Cameron DeWitt and Friends. This week's friend is Flynn Cohen. We recorded this last month in my home in Portland, Oregon. Get Up in the Cool is by and large listener supported, and you can join those supporters by visiting patreon.com slash getupinthecool. But every once in a while, a wonderful sponsor offers to support an episode like the CBA Summer Music Camp, which takes place June 11th through the 14th at the beautiful Nevada County Fairgrounds in Grass Valley, California. Daily instrument classes, workshops, jams, square dances, and faculty concerts are all attended outdoors among the pine trees. This year's world-class faculty include Jake Blunt, Allison DeGroote and Tatiana Hargraves, Caleb Clowder and Reeve Wilms, John Reichman, Mike Witcher, and the band Mile 12, among others. You can learn more about the camp and register online at cbacamp.com. One more thing before we get started, my old-time trio Tall Poppy String Band is playing some shows in northern New Mexico and central and western Colorado next month leading up to the Durango Bluegrass Meltdown. Visit tallpoppystringband.com to get your tickets and make sure to follow us on social media for more updates. Stick around afterwards to hear how to keep up with Flynn Cohen, but first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Flynn Cohen, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you so much for having me, Cameron. What did we just play? 
We played two tunes. Uh, the first tune is called Shetland Jumper, written by my late friend John McGann, and the second tune was one I wrote called Andrea Cora's Jig. Shetland Jumper. That's a really uh, adventurous jig. It really is. It's really hard to play, actually. It's a bit virtuosic. John was it a serious hard. virtuoso <laughs> on the mandolin. Uh, yeah, this, you know, this position shifting and these wild arpeggios that you don't normally play in uh, yeah, it's the sort Irish of music. unhinges. At the end of like the A part, yeah, it's like whoa, where'd it go? Yeah, and it's got chromatic harmony in it too. Yet another feature of innovation with John's music. Shetland jumper. What's John's background? How do you know his tunes? Oh, so I saw him play on a tour called the Celtic Fiddle Festival in 1991, and then I also saw him later that year with Johnny Cunningham the fiddle player from Scotland who lived in the Boston area for a long time and um, backing him up on guitar. And uh, he was a flat picker from bluegrass and jazz. Uh, and so he played the fiddle tunes on the guitar and it was really incredibly striking. And it turned out he was a mandolin virtuoso also and had won Winfield on the mandolin back in the wow, 80s. Yeah. So, uh, and he'd gone to Berkeley College of Music Um uh, and learned how to play jazz there and just, you know, got his chops up and his ear training. And he was basically transcribing for a living, um, advertising in the back of guitar magazines back in the day, days before the internet. Um, uh-huh. and yeah, what does that look like transcribing for a living? What is he doing? People would send him cassettes from all over the world. Uh, and he would charge whatever per hour to write them out, whatever they wanted. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I I got into doing a bunch of transcription projects, partially through him and partially just because I developed a skill, I suppose, because I had, in some ways, a similar background. And uh, a lot of times someone has a specific project that they hire you for. Like um, I do a lot of transcribing for Alan Bybee, who's a modern uh, bluegrass mandolin player down in South Carolina. And he teaches on a lot of music camps and sometimes he just needs stuff written out in tablature real fast for a camp he's teaching on. Yeah. Well, but I also did like a bigger project for him once for like a, an instructional DVD. So those are the kinds of situations where that comes up for me personally, but for John, it was literally any instrument, a lot of guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And then what was the name of your tune? My tune is called Andrea Kors Jig. Andrea Kors Jig. Who's and Andrea, Andrea Kors is the lead singer from this Irish pop band from the nineties called the cores late nineties. Uh, I'm really out of touch with that whole scene. I have no idea what's going on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, You know, there, this one song of theirs was, uh, was a radio hit so much so that you probably would recognize it. Okay. Uh, um, just from, you know, being in a supermarket at the time or whatever. What's the song? (laughs) Breathless. Go on, go on, come on, leave me breathless. Oh, yeah. I do know that Isn't one. that amazing? <laughs> yeah. Just from the ether, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Andrea, uh, they all played all the different, hmm. they're a family band, uh, and they all played trad music also. They grew up playing trad and pop music, and so they would occasionally. Yeah, amazing. I think she played the whistle. I can't remember now. Yeah. Cool. Well, and then the last thing to ask, at least for now, about those tunes is mm-hmm. that there's a third voice. Third voice. <laughs> well, yeah, I did not just enter. There's another voice. <laughs> What's going on here? So uh, this is uh, an Indian, it's essentially a practice instrument that they use in, in Hindustani music called a shruti box. And um, I first heard shruti box as being used in Irish music 
in the 90s in San Francisco, I knew a guy named Jack Gilder who had rigged up a bass drum pedal to operate a shirty box uh, to back himself up when he was playing tunes on the flute or the, what else does he play, concertina. And um, at the time, I was in graduate school in the Bay Area, and a couple of my friends who were on my program at the time were studying North Indian classical music at the Ali Akbar Khan School in Marin. And so I learned a lot more about Indian music just from being around people who were studying it. And then uh, I also took private lessons with a guy named Alaudine Matthew, who lived in um, uh, up in Sonoma County, who uh, had studied a particular type of Indian vocal technique and used the tambura to practice with and to hear tuning with and taught me a lot of music theory using mm. um, North Indian classical music systems. So that's yeah, what, that's my relationship with the yeah. Shirty Bucks. Now, do they typically have like a bike uh, brake cable attached to them? Yeah, the brake cable. <laughs> yeah, so this is new for me. I only just okay. got this. Uh, I was uh, just telling you uh, before we started taping about how I'd gotten... I asked for it for Christmas and no one got it for me. So I bought it for myself for Christmas yeah. and it arrived just Sometimes before it. <laughs> yeah, it arrived just before I left for this tour a few days. And so I didn't even have a chance to practice with it. it I learned on the job at my first gig and, uh, it's, it's my first pedal operated shruti box. It's mechanical. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's great for this kind of music, you know, mm. in, in lieu of, uh, inland pipes or an accordion, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's really funny. Um, when other cultures like create something that's like, Oh, that's actually really idiomatic in the thing that I'm already mm. doing. But, uh, I mean, I, we were just talking about this beforehand too, but I'm, I'm using these, uh, sitar Mizrab because mm. like a lot of clawhammer banjo players, they have these little moments where they might incorporate an up strum or an up pick in between the bang, bang, bang on the drum. Mm. Uh, and, it's really hard to find picks that sound the same way going up and down. Oh yeah. But, uh, sitar players, you know, had that <laughs> on lock for, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's a very simple like design, you uh -huh. know? Uh, so I'm assuming they've had these around for quite a while. It's like, Oh yeah, that's so perfect. Um, I hope they don't <laughs> mind be using uh, them for what I'm doing here, but yeah. It's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, there's a lot of cross-fertilization in traditional music around the world, you know. Seems like there's a lot of that in, um, like, Celtic music as well, especially in the, like, folk revival of Celtic music. And even just because of the diaspora uh, from yeah. Ireland in the mid-19th century uh, during the... Oh, yeah. Um, the mass exodus to yeah. America starting in the 1860s. Um, there's, there brought a lot of Irish music to, um, cities in America and then later brought recordings of Irish music back to Ireland yeah. from New York in the first, in the early days of right. recording too. So, and then of course the tenor banjo is an American instrument and yeah. got into Irish music and then the guitar and the yeah. folk revival and the bazooki. That's a great way to think about it. I've often thought about like, oh, it seems so random that like all of these instruments like worked their way into like Irish traditional music. And then been like, oh yeah, Irish identity at that point was like, oh, these are uh, an indigenous people in exile because 
of absentee British landlords taking all their food for rent money. <laughs> and that starved means, out, yeah. Yeah, that means they're going to, like, the ones who survive and, and leave, they're going to go play their music other places, and it's going to change. So much of it has been transplanted in, uh, in the States. I grew up in the Cleveland area, and we had... Well, a community of Irish immigrants, uh, in particular part of town. And I became friends with a lot of these guys who were my age, whose parents were from Ireland and they all had Irish names themselves and they all went to Catholic school and they had Cleveland accents and, yeah. uh, uh, but they had these Irish names and they all played Irish music. And that's sort of, those are the people who I first heard playing the music in person. Um, and then Chicago also to the west of there, and then, but especially in New York and the home of Irish music, in my opinion, Boston. Yeah, <laughs> the home. <laughs> I've, se- I've heard more Irish music in the Boston area than I heard anywhere in Ireland where I've been, but huh. that I've, I have a limited experience, so yeah. that's just anecdotal. Well, what should we play next? I was thinking maybe we could move on to the... Uh, those West Virginia tunes I was telling you about. Great. And then maybe after that we can talk about your eclectic background and uh, <laughs> eclectic for better or worse. Oh, uh, I always think that eclectic is good, especially if it's done uh, with enthusiasm and yeah. respect. So, well, I'm certainly enthusiastic, if nothing else. <laughs> I don't know about respectful, but I do my best here. So, okay. Respect can look a lot of ways. Awesome. Let's see what I'm going to use here. Okay, so I'm going to um, narrate here. So Flynn has the Shruti box. It's on the ground, connected to the bike cable. <laughs> and uh, there looks like, in, in, the, in the pattern of a, of a piano keyboard, yeah. there are these little sw- uh, switches. Uh, <clears throat> and you've, you've, you've moved them around a little bit. I moved one of them. I closed one and opened another. Okay. Yeah. So basically, I was playing what in guitar talk we call a D five chord, which is uh, what when I when I taught music theory in the classical music textbooks they would call a D omit three. D omit three. The dumbest One name of those for a is chord. A <laughs> Great soul than the others. Yeah. Yeah. And D five. I I always liked. You know, it evolved out of out of uh, rock guitar playing. Sure. In power chords. Um, Oh wait, I'm gonna You're the right for that. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, it was a, a D and an A. Uh, note: I've, I've my little box here is fully chromatic, so we can choose any of the twelve notes we want. And I'm just do, using these dyads for the drones. And so I had the D and the A switches open, so those reeds were letting air through and mm. playing those two notes and. Then I left the A open, closed the D, and opened the E. So gotcha. now I have a second inversion, A omit three. <laughs> a omit three. Second inversion. <laughs> or you can think of it as a A5, inverted A5 chord. So it's got the E and, and it's the lower note. Good enough. So what uh, Ed, uh, Ed and Hammond's tunes are So the first one is called Fine Times at Our House. Oh, great. And yeah. the second one's called The Falls of Richmond. Oh, cool. Are, we, are those both in A? Yeah. Cool. It's been a while since I played. Um, and I kick on the Shruti box for the second tune. Amazing. Just like that last yeah, set. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. 
Teamwork there. Good catch, man. Thanks. <laughs> there was a fall. <laughs> a shirty bucks poor, fall. Poor shirty bucks. <laughs> huh. I was giving it a little too much shtick there and uh, <laughs> fell over. But good catch, Cameron. Good yeah. catch. I don't know a lot of people who know who, you know, Eden Hammonds is. Uh-huh. Like, when when did, like, you know, obscure old-time source recordings entered the picture for you. Did that come oh. first? Did uh, yeah. Celtic music come first? Well, I started playing Irish traditional music when I was a teenager. Um, and other music from that part of the world. Uh, like, I was really interested in um, a lot of the fingerstyle guitar players from England at the time, also. Not from that time, actually, from an earlier time, from, like, the 60s and 70s, mainly. And um, so... Um, I sort of got into, interested in all that stuff around the same time. My uncle gave me some records, LPs, original copies of like the first Pentangle album and the, I think it was the second Bothy band or third, the third Bothy band album actually. And, um, boys, of the lock and some other stuff. And so and that was sort of mainly my introduction to that. And like I said, growing up around, um, well in the same town as people who played actual trad music, um, the part of town where I'm from there wasn't a sense of like ethnic identities. Like everyone was just sort of a preppy. Okay. Uh, But, um, and there wasn't any traditional music to speak of in, but I think like rock and roll was the music of the youth at the time. And metal was new. Mm -hmm. So some of my friends were into metal and stuff. And some of my friends played classical music and some played jazz. And those were the two acceptable forms of music 
far as the adults were concerned. Sure. My dad listened to a lot of jazz, but he was also into the blues and early rock and roll. So he, I think he was maybe a little more tolerant of what I was doing than other yeah. kind of preppy parents. But anyway, um, so I got into the Irish music first. And then when I was, um, ironically in college in England, I started playing more, uh, bluegrass music and listening to more, um, archival recordings. And I think when, um, and then I went to graduate school on the West coast here in, in Oakland and was playing a lot of bluegrass uh, then as well as the Irish music when even though during the time I was a student sort of just in the local community and started to play gigs with some people around in the Bay Area and um, I'm trying to think of when I I guess I probably started listening to archival recordings in college in England because they had LPs of that stuff in the college library mm -hmm. and then with the Appalachian music it came out of my interest in bluegrass and then when I made my first bluegrass record it was it was called mellow yell and uh i did some songs that i got from recordings of that type like um i had one of john cohen's records uh that he had i think they were songs he, uh, recordings he had made uh down in um madison county north carolina where i got really that's music that i got really interested in as a singer and um his record was called high atmosphere i think mm -hmm. it came out in this late 60s possibly I can't remember now but I had that and I, I think I learned a couple of songs off of that and then I had some other similar recordings that I learned songs from uh, and so then a few years go by and I started playing old time music on the fiddle I had played Irish music on the fiddle and bluegrass on the fiddle before not well at all certainly but I did play in a bluegrass band for a while I think they let me in the band because I was a singer and I could go Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. But the, um, uh, so I did have some, you know, some experience with the fiddle, but, uh, I guess the thing that really got me interested in playing the old time music on the fiddle was the older recordings. So like Ed and Hammonds, Luther Strong, Tommy Jarrell, yeah. Marcus Martin, those were the primary people I think I was learning tunes from. And I had a sense of like learning tunes directly from those recordings rather than, being a part of a more of a jam scene. I did go to some old time jams when I was younger and play in some of those, but uh, I learned a lot of tunes that way. Mainly was interested in it almost for myself. Yeah. And it was kind of academic about it. You know, I have an academic background, so I think I probably took that kind of approach with it. And it was just very detailed about it and learned the tunes from them. And then supplanting them on the guitar was sort of a obvious step for me since it's that's actually my job. And sure. the fiddle was more of a avocation. But I also write a lot of fiddle tunes too. So And I write them on the fiddle. Mm. So I, that's my connection with the tradition. I stay connected to it through the fiddle. And then I reinterpret stuff on my other instruments that I play in front of people. I'm always interested in um, people who are uh, endeavoring to capture an old-time fiddle sound in their flat picking on guitar. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to yeah. speak on that. Well, but that's a really good question apropos of what we just did because uh, I made this whole record called The Lazy Farmer of um, traditional songs and fiddle tunes down from the southern mountain region and um and uh i was basically borrowing a lot of accompaniment ideas from irish music and by accompaniment ideas i mean things that have evolved in irish music since the mid 70s so not 
these aren't old ideas by any stretch. They're yeah. modern ideas. Um, but just trying to take the sort of squareness out of the string band accompaniment and bring it into a more, I don't know if it's ethereal is the word because there definitely is a pulse to this music. It's just, I'm not pushing the pulse with this accent that kind of cuts the groove in half. Uh, I don't know. That's one way of putting it. I don't mm. mean to demean the, the, uh, old time guitar style anyway. I love it for what it is, but the, um, stuff I was trying to do was more inspired by how Paul Brady played fiddle tunes on guitar. I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff, but Paul Brady was like probably the biggest innovator on the guitar in Irish music. And, um, he became a pop musician in the eighties, but all throughout the, the, from the late sixties and all through the seventies, he was on the cutting edge of like folk and traditional music. And, um, he, when he flat picked the Irish tunes on the guitar, he used an open tuning and he was hitting, drone strings in between yeah. uh, the notes in the melody. And he would also use, he also used a drone, I think on, there's only two sets of tunes he recorded back then on guitar. Mm-hmm. He also did stuff on mandolin, but uh, the guitar stuff, I think he used a drone on those two, similar to what I was doing there. Huh. And, uh, and then, so in some ways I was kind of inspired by what Paul did, especially his album, welcome here, kind stranger, which is his one sort of, lone solo trad folk album that he did in like 1978 i think um actually i have the lp in my car right across the street right there i just inherited a bunch of irish music lps when Mm -hmm. i was in uh marin a couple weeks ago but anyway digressing um that was part of my inspiration but my technique all really does come from bluegrass flat picking yeah and then and i had already applied a bluegrass flat picking technique to the irish traditional music uh, so the first album I made called Dead String Rhythm, uh, my first solo album, I recorded that in 2001 with John McGann, who we mentioned earlier. He was a, my producer and recording engineer, and we just recorded the whole thing in his house. It was like a big overdubbing kind of project over, we did over a number of months, and we added other musicians to it. And I was overdubbing the lead and rhythm guitar parts, and the rhythm guitar parts, I used a thin pick for that style. Yeah. But then for the lead, I was basically using a technique that I learned from copying John really, which was, um, the heavier pick that I used in bluegrass flat picking. And, um, mm. so then when I did these old time tunes, it's basically an extension of that stuff that I'd done already, but, um, capturing the sound of the old time fiddle really like the, well, I'll just tell you about the tuning I'm using. So this is G six tuning. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I used it, I got into using G tuning from learning all of Paul Brady's Irish guitar stuff he um he used open g on a few songs that he did in the 70s and there's just so much there as a beautiful open tuning in how he uses it uh and then i realized that it could be applied nicely to these a key of a fiddle tunes yeah. uh mm-hmm. but i like to have the high e string intact so yeah. basically kept two low low uh strings as drones in the key so Gotcha. So I got the fifth there, and the roots there, and then I have these top two strings that I'm used to from flat picking, yeah. uh, and they have the tension that I like to have because as soon as you play in an open tuning and you lose the tension, uh-huh. it can change how you play and yeah. um, like the tone of that. I because I come from sort of a modern bluegrass flat picking style, I definitely am big on the tone. 
and I don't want the strings smacking against the frets, you know? Right. So, so is it D, G, D, G, B, E? Yes, you got okay. it. Yeah, so yeah. G6 is like you tune. There's two ways to think about it. You can think of it as open G tuning with your high string tuned up to E, or you can think of it as standard tuning with your two low strings down a whole step. Yeah. It's another way of thinking about it. So yeah. it's like uh, I can I do play. Actually, I will sometimes use this tuning when I'm playing some of the Irishy stuff. can really capture all those same voicings that Brady Paul Brady was using back huh. in the day with this tuning but uh, but of course most of what I was doing when we were playing those Ed and Hammond's tunes was I was playing the melody in the top few strings and using the drone strings as like um, you know harmonic accents maybe even you know little drones not the same kind of drone as a Shruti box certainly but when you're flat picking Some more. Um, I think you mentioned you wanted to do some singing as well. Yeah. Morning. Why don't I sing one? Ooh, yeah, I got one. Here's one from Western North Carolina. Okay. Oh, is that a D omit three? I'll get back to that. <laughs> That's the D omit three. Uh, hey, what's this song? This song is called Young Emily. It's uh, a murder ballad that I learned from the singing of Sheila K. Adams, who was someone I met at, uh, when I was teaching at the Augusta Heritage Center in mm. West Virginia about 20 years ago. With um, I was playing guitar with the Footworks Percussive Dance Ensemble at the yeah, time. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. And, um, cool. and Eileen Carson, the late, great Eileen Carson, introduced me to, uh, to Sheila, K- Sheila K., um, one day at lunch and I ended up getting a CD of hers and listening to a bunch of her music and then found all these online archives soon after that showing up on various college websites and uh, found all these great recordings of her from the olden days, 70s, I think. Mm. Uh, and um, so I think I learned this song from that. Um, came up with my own little guitar arrangement of it and I recorded this song. With my friends Danny Novak and uh, Matt Heaton, and um, yeah, that's the deal. Young Emily, murder ballad about yeah, I don't think I know this one. Yeah, it's about a young woman who uh, falls in love with this guy, and the uh, her father finds out that this guy's rich, and so he murders him, steals his money. Oh, interesting. The father does. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's definitely. Uh, speaking of the Paul Brady influence earlier, this is like a Appalachian version of a song that he recorded called uh, Young Edmund and the Lowlands Low. Um, I don't, I haven't done much 
in terms of musicological research on the connection between the two, but very similar songs. Uh, and so, like I was saying, he was sort of inspiring me to do my own kind of take on the traditional American music that he did with the Irish music. So. Oh 
interesting song. I haven't heard a murder ballad with that specific angle. Well, I think we have time for two more. We're going to uh-huh. do one, and then we should talk about where people can go to cool. follow you and buy your music and see you in person. and Rockin'. Elsewhere. But what should, what should we play before that? Oh, horn pipes. First one <laughs> is called The Girl Who Broke My Heart. The second one is Murphy's Hornpipe, and the third one is called Tom Grainy Castle. Okay. No no shooty buck story about in this one. Okay, great.
Thanks so much for making some time to come up and show me these cool teams. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. Um, where do people go to keep up to date with everything that you're doing? Where to buy your music and how to book you for stuff and when to know if you're coming through town. Cool. Well, uh, the easiest thing is I have a website, flynncohen.net. It's F-L-Y-N-N-C-O-H-E-N. And um, I'm in a band called Low Lily. And that is my primary touring band. That is probably the most likely place to see me perform around the country. Uh, Lowlily.com. Uh, L-O-W-L-I-L-Y. And uh, I do flat picking on the guitar and the mandolin and singing in that band. So it's definitely related to what I'm doing here, but we do uh, mostly original music, less of the traditional music, but it certainly informs what we do. Yeah, cool. Um, and uh, then social media, uh, I use Instagram and Facebook pretty regularly. Um, and in terms of buying the music, uh, there's a couple of my solo records are up for sale on Bandcamp, include as well as my master's thesis concert, actually. Okay, great. If you like that sort of thing. Yeah, right on. Uh, so I'll put links in the in the show notes. People can just sort of tap and swipe and click away until they've followed and subscribed and bought all of the th- things. Great. Yeah. I would certainly appreciate that. Yeah. Well, what should we do for our final oh, number? Final number. So... I think I was telling you about that uh, album I made sort of by accident, which I can give you a copy of. Yeah. Uh, it's called Please. Pirate Mountainside. And the name of the record is inspired, well, it was from a fiddle tune that I wrote uh, that along with another tune were inspired by this uh, hike I did with uh, my old buddy Rashad Eggleston. Are you familiar with Rashad's mm-hmm. music? So uh, we sort of reconnected a few years ago when I started coming out to California to record these um instructional videos i have a, a couple of courses on peghead nation do you know of peghead mm-hmm. nation so um and uh and the last time i was in california before now was three years ago it was like a month before the pandemic started and rashad i was down in carmel visiting my aunt who lives down there and rashad was living with his brother at the time out in carmel valley and um he took me on a hike in this incredible park along the ocean called Point Lobos State Park, I think. And we saw this, inc- like at the bottom, so the south end of this park is this incredible view. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a sort of a longer story about how I ended up naming this tune after that. But I named a couple of tunes after, or in- inspired by this walk I took with Rashad, or this hike or whatever. And um, so one of them became the title track to this record. So uh, let me just put this mandolin in this funny cross tuning real quick. Okay, fine. Yeah, cool. <laughs>
Visit FlynnCohen.net to find links to his albums, tour schedule, teaching, and much more. And make sure to follow him on Instagram and Facebook. You could also visit lowlily.com and follow them on social media. That's all linked in the show notes. Thanks again to CBA Summer Music Camp for sponsoring this episode. Learn more at cbacamp.com. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. That's also linked in the show notes along with links to my banjo lessons, my old-time trio tall poppy string band, my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set, and Get Up in the Cool merch. And sign up for spring claw hammer workshops with me at camerondewitt.com slash store. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool. <laughs>